Is God good? Yeah, he is, isn't he? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yes. Isn't that, though, one of those truths that, though it's so fundamental and profound, it, it is perhaps one of the key truths of Christian faith and that, that is resisted all around us. It's been resisted since the garden. The world does not believe that God is good. S- Satan does not promulgate the message that there is a good God out there that you want to have anything to do with. In the garden, he essentially said to Adam and Eve, Hey, you know, that God, I tell you what, he just, uh, he's, just, he's just a killjoy. He's just a killjoy. He doesn't want you to have good things. doesn't want you to, you know, have the good fruit, the ones that uh, would really make you satisfied. And you can see how lovely and beautiful and desirable it is. And, you know, that's God, though. He's just that way. And, uh, and the world is caught up in that right now. And the world is constantly pumping a message out to us that, ah, you know, if you believe in God, well... You know, you're kind of brainless, but uh, on top of that, I mean, how, you're just going to have a miserable life and hope for eternity because how good could it really be to know God? And Christians have struggled with this. Believers, Abraham struggled. You know, Abraham, the man of faith, you recall the whole thing with the, this, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah deal? And Lot, his nephew, lived there, and the, and the, and the angels come and pass, and he's like, well, God's not going to destroy the city if there's 50 righteous, is there? And then he keeps bargaining and bargaining. He's like, hey, you know, the, the God of the, you know, the universe, the judge of the world will do right, won't he? So he's struggling with that very concept. You look at the prodigal son, which is one of our favorite stories, and he's in the far country, and he thinks about going back to his father, and he thinks, I'll go back and I'll be treated as a hired hand. And that'll be good. But in his heart, in other words, he doesn't even see back, even having turned and thought to go home, he still doesn't quite see or understand the goodness of his father. And as Christians, I think this is actually a huge problem for us. I see too many Christians, and I hear it in their voice, I hear it in their tone, I hear it in in sort of the things they say. Like coming to church is like one of those things you do, not you specifically, I think you're all really excited to be here. But I mean, I think there are a lot of Christians in our culture right now that say, okay, I'll give God a Sunday a month or something if I have to. Because they don't see it as good. They don't see the fellowship of believers as good. They don't see the worship of God as good. They see it as a, well, I got it. It's an obligation. It's a duty. I'll just do it if I have to. But they don't understand. They don't grasp the goodness of it. And that's my message to you today is, is about seeing and trusting in the goodness of God. That I, I, would, I would hope that, that based on the scripture today, as you walk out of here today, that in a new way, you are going to say, I know God is good. God, the psalmist says, is like water in a dry and thirsty land. Our God is like the choicest and richest foods when you're hungry. But we have to, we have to Get that in here and hang on to it and see it and believe it. Really believe it. And that's the big, so that's the idea. Trust the Lord's goodness. Let me give you a couple just quick cross references to sort of confirm this and then we'll go on and show it in the passage. Uh, it says in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Well, that's obvious, right? And not just that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards them. He's good, right? That's, that's the idea there. And then at, for, for believers, the, for those who know him, that very familiar passage, Romans eight twenty eight, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those 
who are called according to his purpose. So you get the flavor of this, where we're going, you understand. It's not a real complex idea. If you, if, you don't if you don't understand where I'm going right now, I can't possibly preach a simpler message than, than that. Says, God's good. That's what we're saying. God is good, but we have to trust it. We have to really get it down deep. We're going to see that here. When you look at Paul, it, you know, Paul was at Corinth. We left him in Corinth last time, as you recall. And... Uh, and we just see, we're going to see God's goodness to Paul throughout this. For instance, and I'm just going to give them to you ahead of time and then we'll come back. God rescues him. You don't have to write these down because we're going to hit them as we go through, but just hear them. God rescues him. He gives mercy to him in hardship. He ordains his future ways. He gives the wealth of fellowship. And he strengthens him to strengthen others. And yes, even though this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about, we're going to apply these to ourselves. Got it? With me? Yay. All right. First of all, he has rescued you from harm. He has rescued you from harm. Looking at verse 7, Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth, but then things start to finally heat up a little bit. Then comes the attempted attack. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Interestingly enough, this is just a little bit of historical background, but we're starting to really get a timeline fixed on Paul's life at certain points. So, so for instance, last time you may remember that he was with Aquila and Priscilla at, at Corinth working with them, and, and Luke had told us that they'd been expelled when, when Claudius expelled the Jews. 49 AD, we know the date, 49 AD. Interestingly enough, Gallio, this guy in Achaia, he was only there in that role from 51 to 52 A.D. So interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you plug that in, you, the, the time's pretty, pretty clear here when, when Paul is working at that point. I think that's neat. You don't need it for the points of the sermon, but I just think that's kind of cool. In any event, the Jews bring Paul before the tribunal. Where was that? Well, in Corinth. <laughs> you can go to Corinth today, by the way. Uh, it's, it's a destination if you ever get a chance to go there. It's, it's a ruined city, and they've, they've excavated it. And you can literally go to the Agora, you know, the marketplace. And you can go, and there is a raised, you see these raised stones at one end of the Agora. And that was where the tribunal was. They had, they had a, the throne that sat there. So you could go see, not the throne part, but you could see where it was that they brought Paul to the end of the Agora. And, and there, there is... Um, Gallio sitting there, and it says um, that they went and they tried um, to, to um, you know, uh, cause him harm. It says, uh, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So for the Jews, these particular Jews anyway, they could not accommodate the idea that the son of David had come. Even though they'd been waiting for him for years, they could not accommodate the idea that this Jesus who had been crucified could possibly be. And so what they're saying is you can't worship Jesus and be a good Jew. He's doing things contrary to the law. Now, which is a funny thing to bring to a Roman, if you, if you really stop and think about it. I don't think the Corinthian synagogue was that sharp. Because um, <laughs> they should have seen that coming. I mean... Wrong day, wrong judge. It could have gone a different way if, if Gallio had been of a mind to you know, accommodate the Jews. Maybe something different would have happened. But no, he, he, has, he doesn't care one whit. In fact, he was kind of an anti-Semite from what we know historically. And uh, I don't know, you know, when, when Jesus said that he had many people in the city, I don't know but what Gallio 
was a tool, a, a blunt instrument to be sure, but one of those things that, that was a resource. Like, he, like Gallio was not going to let anything happen to Paul because of something that the Jewish people brought against him. It just, it just was not going to happen. Paul tries to speak. It says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, so already he's decided it's not any of those things, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crimes, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And that was as far as the persecution of, that was attempted against Paul at Corinth that never took off. I mean, it dies right there. And I said, I don't think the Jews at Corinth were the, were the sharpest of, of the Jewish, when you, you track all these different places Paul went. Because what they do is, um, well, I'll just read it to you there, Acts 7, 18, 17. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of that. Does that seem a little stupid on your, I mean, like you got to break that out there and say, what is going on there? First of all, the question is, who's the they? Well, it has to be the Jewish people in this case, the, the Jews that are upset that brought Paul there, because otherwise, why would it say, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this? So they're still trying to influence him. Who's Sosthenes? Is he a Christian? Well, Luke never tells us that. And Luke generally does tell us when prominent people like rulers of synagogues have, uh, have come to faith. So this is a little bit like that scene in Blazing Saddles, and I apologize for having ever seen that movie, but you, do you remember when the sheriff holds a gun to his own head to get the crowd to back off? You know, don't move or I'm going to shoot myself, kind of a, um, I don't think that was the exact line, but you know, it's, it's back off or, or I'll kill him, and, uh, and they back off, cause, and then you laugh because why would they back off when they're wanting to kill him anyway for him to, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? He's, they're beating their own guy. Like, oh, you won't give us what we want. Here, here's our, one of our chief guys. And strangely enough, Gallio paid no attention to them. It's like, that seemed like a foregone conclusion to me. So, did Paul always escape every time some hardship came against him? No. Not, I mean, really, in a sense, he always did until the ultimate time before Nero. But sometimes he did suffer. He suffered through, I mean, one time, remember, recall that he was actually stoned pretty much to death. They thought they'd killed him, and then they drag him outside of town and dump his body, and he, he comes back, comes to, and, and so on and so forth. There are a lot of times he escaped, but with difficulty. But God, God had a way of rescuing Paul time and time again. As you sit here today, has God ever rescued you from harm, from sickness, from, from hardship? Has he ever pulled you out of a difficult place? Amen? He has. Now, does that mean that God will never let you go through a hardship or a trial or suffering? No, it doesn't mean that. But this is what we know as believers, that God is good. God is one that we trust. He is working all things for your good. He knows how to rescue the godly, the Bible says. And it doesn't mean that, that in every trial that, that, that godly people will go through unscathed and not suffering, but it means he knows how to rescue you ultimately and present you blameless, faultless before the throne of Christ in that day. So God is for you. God is good. Secondly, he's given mercies even in hardship. 
which we need to hear. <laughs> we need to hear that part of it because, yeah, there are times when it's hard. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila at Sincrea, he had to cut his hair for he was under a vow. So the Jews certainly were trying to make things unwelcome for Paul. And he does, I think, kind of get the message. He, I think He's, he's had a year and a half there. I think many good things have happened. I think he feels the ill winds blowing. And between him and the brothers, they reach this decision that he does need to move on. But in that time, the gospel has done incredible things. Jesus told Paul, you know, you can, you can minister here. There, I have many people in this city. We get the impression from all the, the various things that are being said here with the brothers that, that there was a good harvest there in that place. How many times in the midst of your struggle has God shown you mercy? Where you were going through, and, and you knew it was a trial. And you were trying to count it all joy. How many, are really, how many succeed 100% of the time at counting it all joy every time you fall into a trial? No, not so much. Okay, me either. But how many, though, how many times have you been suffering and you start to get cranky and, you, and, and all the psalms you're choosing are lament psalms uh, and you're kind of about ready to shake your fist at God. Hey, I didn't sign up for this. And then something just, just comes along and it's just a, a mercy, a mercy to you. And Paul, Paul experienced that. We experienced that. Uh, my wife and I, when we left our uh, church up in Minnesota 15 years ago, there were some things, and I don't want to go into it, like, like we left under our own power by our own volition, but there were some things that were happening in the church that we just could not affirm. And so we, you know, before God, we made a decision, we, we're, we're going to leave and, uh, and try to keep the church from going through any, any you know, turmoil. And uh, anyway, so we made that decision. It was a hard, hard decision. This was right about the time that the, that the market took the big downturn when it came to the housing market. There were 100 homes in the area for sale right in the exact price bracket of the home we were trying to sell. 100 homes, all competing for the one person that might buy a home at that time. And, uh, and the church gave us a severance for a few months. And, uh, and I'll never forget that, that in the midst of a lot of what felt like adversity and difficult times, that on the day our house closed was the last day that we got a check from, from the church. And... Uh, you can see that as miraculous or not. We, for us, it was just one of those, those affirmations of God, one of those moments where we went, wow, that is God's mercy. We don't deserve it. We, could we have gotten through without that? But it was just poetic, and it was merciful, and we can see that. Can you say right now, in your heart, in your mind, that little voice in your head, can you say God is good? Can, can you say that? And you say, but yeah, but what about that one thing? And you know what the thing is. How many have a thing that, where you're like, but God is good, parenthesis, but what about, what about that one tree he told me I could not eat from, that dirty dog? Um, what about that one thing he's withheld, that thing I want, that thing I, that, that I feel like my whole life depends on it, and, and he's not get, giving that to me? Or this hardship that I am going through. Here's what you need to hear. God is good. Look for the mercies of God. When, we talk, when, the, when the Bible says you know, we're to thank God in all, in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The, the reason it's, part of the reason it's telling that is, is it's saying open your eyes and see the mercy while you acknowledge the hardship. The two don't have to be contradictory per se. You, you, you understand, yeah, it's hard. 
but God is still merciful. God is always good. And he's ordained your future. From here, Luke uh, is going to cover some geography with us. It's very compact. I'm not going to go into great detail there. But Paul leaves to go back to Syria. And you're like, what's in Syria? Well, Antioch. Remember? I told you there were like 17 cities called Antioch at this time. It makes it confusing. But recall that that was the church that sent Paul. It was Syrian Antioch. So he's going on his way back to Syria. And he passes through Ephesus. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. No surprise. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Okay, so he's gone. To, this, this looks like familiar territory. We've seen it many times. Paul goes to the synagogue. A lot of times, didn't go so well. Right? Yeah? Didn't always go great at the synagogue. But here at Ephesus, which he's just planning on passing through, they're listening. They're open. They're saying, hey, we want to hear more about this Jesus stuff. We want to hear more of this gospel stuff. And yet Paul doesn't stay. Why? Why doesn't he stay for such a, a promising ministry? Well, the short answer is he, he had other things he wanted to do. Um, he, he had plans. He, I, the, so reconstructing it, many Bible commentators believe that Paul was actually trying to get across, uh, sail across to get there before winter, before that set in, uh, that he wanted to get to the, um, to the Passover in Jerusalem, and so, and that it just did not fit his timetable at that point. And yet, look at what Paul says. Now, Paul is not a man guilty of cliches. We're guilty of cliches. We, we are apt to say platitudes. Paul's not that kind of person. Like, if somebody comes to my house and uh, they say, hey, you, got, you really look like you need some new windows on that house, I say... You're right, and uh, if God wills, in a few years, I'll probably have those. So thanks, I'll take your card. Uh, that's not much of a promise, is it? <laughs> I don't think that guy leaves going, oh, I've got a sale. I think he goes, yeah, that guy was putting me off. Um, but Paul's not like that. He says, I will return to you if God wills. That, I, think that, I think that is Paul simply acknowledging, yes, I want to come back here. But I do have plans, and, and, and I feel that that is the, the thing to do right now. And I am going to trust a sovereign God to move me where he wants me when he wants me there. He has my future. He has ordered and ordained my future. And we know he loved the Ephesians. We know he ends up going there. We know that he leaves Timothy there. To it's not for a lack of interest or desire. So, young person. Any young people here today? If you're a young person and you're like I was when I was young, I remember just being so anxiously nervous and, and wanting, to, wanting to get out there and, and, and get planted and do something for the Lord. And that, that feeling like, man, maybe, maybe this college experience I'm having isn't really preparing me and maybe I'm just wasting time and I, ah, I need to go. And I just kind of like fretted over the idea, that, well, maybe God wouldn't get me where he needed me when he wanted me there. Maybe you're an older person and you're, you're moving in toward retirement or other, some other life stage decision. You're like, oh, maybe this is right. Maybe this is wrong. I don't know. And you're torn up about it. And you're like, oh, well, you've you got to remember God's good. 
If you're a Christian, you know him. You, you're, you're in Christ. You, you, you know that, that he will order your steps. We don't want to get all caught up anxious that, that somehow we're going to miss the boat. I mean, I think there are Christians out there, and I think I've been in that place myself, where, in fact, I think I'm still tempted to get in that place, where we look at all of the things that we're, oh, maybe I'll do this, maybe I should do that, maybe, and we get worried that God is up there just taking us through a maze like, like a rat. The, years ago, my oldest daughter took her driver test, the first of two, as it turned out. And the guy was a jerk. That's the nicest word I can find for this man. He was just a, a, mean, he was just a mean guy. And uh, he said, okay, you know, parallel park for me. She parallel parked between the two cones. And then he looked at her and he goes, do you think that's good enough? Well, what are you going to do, your 15, 16-year-old girl? She pulled back out, tried it again, hit a cone, failed. Then we've come to find out, because I talked to the guy. He's like, yeah, if she just left it there, she would have passed the test. Do we think that God is up there going, hmm, you going to stay in Ephesus? Are you going to Syria? Which one do you think I'm going to approve of? Do you think I'll be okay if you leave? I mean, there's an open door there. But what if you stayed and I wanted you in Syria? Do you think God does that? Why do we think that way? And, and you say, well, I've never thought that way. Yes, we do. We do get into that, that thought like, oh, I'm going to make a mistake. Because God, what? God's not going to get us where God needs to, wants us to go. Trust him. Take the next step. But, but so you've got to relax a little bit that God knows what he's doing. And God loves us either way, whether we're in Ephesus or Syria. But trust him. He's also giving you the wealth in the fellowship of believers. I like this part. I always like these parts. Uh, there was a, uh, a time when the disciples worried that God might not be good. Do you remember that time when the um, rich young ruler popped up? And Jesus said, follow me. And he goes, ah, I can't do that right now. Because he was very wealthy. And Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in the heaven, into heaven. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 what? What? Wait, what? <laughs> and he says, and Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in this life in the, and in the age to come eternal life. Now, this is not a proof text for health and wealth preaching. That's not what it's saying. It's talking Primarily, it seems, about the wealth that we have in the fellowship of believers. That it, so if you leave family, your family disowns you, you've got a family at church. If you have to make costly decisions, you have your, your family at church to fall back on. Get back to Paul here. He leaves Ephesus. He heads towards Syria. It says, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Antioch. Syrian Antioch, you remember them. That's the church that had sent him. Can you imagine what a, what a um, welcome that must have been? If you had Paul, if, if Paul was our missionary and we sent him out from grace and we have yeah, no internet, none of those things, maybe a letter somewhere, who knows. But, but for the most part, man, I, I just praying for him. And then he comes back in and he has all these, these incredible stories of what God has done and people that have been won to Christ and, and being thrown in a Philippian jail and all of these things. And what a rejoicing that, that must have been. 
Paul had made an investment of his life into them. They had made an investment into Paul. And I think that when he came back, that I don't think he had to worry about like where he was going to eat that day. <laughs> and I don't think he had to worry about where he was going to sleep. Or if he had a car to drive while he was on furlough. Or any of those, any of those, those, those facts of life kinds of things. Because he had the, the, the fellowship of believers. They were his 401k. Luke doesn't give us like, you know, a lot of data there. But we've put, when you put it together with everything we've learned about Paul and the church there. You just know that it was a restorative time for Paul. God is good. And the greatest investment in your life... Apart from salvation itself, that, that union with Christ, the knowledge of God, all of those things, that spiritual good that you have. Apart from that, the next best thing that you have in all of life is meant to be the fellowship of believers. Do you know that? This thing that people can barely get themselves up for on Sunday morning, this, this thing that, that, that people do sometimes in a, with, a, with, with a total sense of drudgery, this thing that, that Christ said, I'm going to build upon this thing called the church, this, this kingdom, and, 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 and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That is your great treasure, my friend. That is, that, that is the treasure that Christ has given you. There is wealth there. There is wealth. You think about... Some of the celebrities out there, like, uh, I've heard Mike Tyson actually talk about this. Mike, Mike Tyson did not handle his money very well. I know it's shocking. Um, but anyway, you get hit, hit in the head a few times. Maybe you don't. But like, when he, when he first got wealthy, he had people that were just glomming on to him and following him everywhere, so-called friends. And he'd be like, do you need a... You need a BMW? You look like you need a BMW. And he, and he just buy him a BMW. And he was just throwing money away. And those friends were really good friends until he ran out of money. And most of them were gone. That's, that's the way of the world. But when you are in a biblical church, when you are in the body of Christ, and you, and you know them, and they love you, and they support you, and you love and support them, and you're connected in that way, they will love you whether things are good or bad in your life, whether you are rich or whether you are poor. They will, they will be there. That is evidence of the goodness of God to you. It's the, if you like, well, I don't know when God's good to me. Boy, if you say that when you're sitting at the 5-2 meal being, being fed by, by fellow Christians, uh, then, then something's wrong with some of what you're looking at. If you're sitting here today and, you, and you've worshipped the Lord together and you've, 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 you've had people welcome you and love you, that, that is part of the evidence of God's goodness. Finally, God is so good, he strengthens you to strengthen others. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul has finished the second missionary journey when he arrived. When he arrived. <laughs> Can't talk. Uh, so he arrived there at, at the church at Antioch. That was sort of the signals the end of the second missionary journey. Now he's going back out again, and this is the beginning of the, of the third missionary journey. And he goes right back through the region of Galatia, which we've seen uh, before. The point I want you to see, though, um, is a very simple one. Paul had experienced God's goodness, like we talked about, all along the way. God had rescued him through the time at Corinth. He had showered him with mercies of all different uh, sort, mainly, chiefly, in in the, the harvest that he had won. He ordained his future ways at Ephesus. He, sh- he allowed him to drink 
of, of the goodness, the wealth of the church there at Antioch. And now he's, he's got his batteries charged. He's got his bad. You know, we're talking about electric vehicles today in, in the U.S., and I'm all for, hey, you know what? If they can build one that I can afford and they could get enough charging stations, you know, that, that, would, that, would, be, that would be great, wouldn't it? To, to, to go in and, and just hook it up to a plug and, and, uh, and, and have it recharge for change. That would, if that could happen, that'd be awesome. Not sure it's going to happen, but yeah, that'd be great. Paul has, has plugged his proverbial lithium batteries there in at Antioch and, and he's at 100% he's full he's ready and what does he do he goes right back at it third missionary journey and, and he is set loose God's goodness in our life if we are to experience it to its full cannot be experienced if we try to hoard that if we think, oh, that goodness of God is just so that I can drink it in and, and, and just stay encapsulated, that would be a just completely false understanding of how this joy works. You think about uh, Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you saw Hacksaw Ridge, but we've talked about that. Desmond Doss, and, and, and uh, he was a conscientious objector, and in this battle he keeps, he keeps coming back and, and getting men that have been wounded and, and bringing them to safety. Do you remember that? And he keeps praying, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. And God answered that prayer. And, and so many were, 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 were saved because of that prayer. Wouldn't it be great if, that's, if that was our heart attitude? If you want the goodness of God, and I, and I trust that you do. And maybe today you're like, yes, I need to think more about that. I need to grasp hold of that, that more then understand that that final piece of that, that we, we want the goodness of God, not only for our sake, but so that we then might strengthen others and win others. And in doing so, we will reap a, a harvest of, of good and joy in that. So there's no downside to taking the good and sharing it. It will, it will only multiply itself in so doing. All right. Church family, pray that God will open your eyes and uh, that, that this deception of the evil one, which is so ancient, it's an ancient deception. It's being pushed at us from every different angle. The world keeps telling us the same thing. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Pray that God would, would just lift you out of that deception that you will see the undeniable goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been offered and given to you as believers. Now trust him. Trust him to be good. Fasten hold of his goodness deep in your soul and then pray, Lord, may I charge my batteries on that goodness, taking full advantage of all that God is, that you've given me and then let me use it for the sake of others. Pray, just one more. Let me get one more. Can you imagine the joy of that answered prayer in your life? And God just keeps giving you more energy to just go back and love and support others. The one person who might be here today, if there be such a person who um, hears this message and, you, and you're not quite there. Uh, I just want, I just, what I would say to you today is you have been sold a bill of goods. You've, you've, you've listened to the oldest lie, literally, I mean, confirmably, this is the oldest lie in the book. 
And in, in the history of man, it is the lie that God is grudging. He wants to kill your joy. He's there. He wants to withhold from you. Instead of seeing God as he is, that God is the God who created all things. He made them good. We corrupted them, but he made them good. And he gave us of all these things to enjoy. Because God is a God of joy. God is a God of love and goodness. It's the devil that wants to take you down to the pit of hell. You've believed a lie. See that God is good. The Bible says that God is the father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning, that every good gift comes down from him. And though you've, you've been his enemy, he grants you goodness. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, when we were enemies of God, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, that God sent his son into the world to die for sinners like you. And if you're to be saved, if, if, if you want the goodness of God, and it's there, it's, it's offered to you. In, in, all you must do is, is leave everything, turn away from all that you've been clinging to. All, your rebellion, your sin, go in your own way and, just, and look to Jesus Christ, God's son, and put your trust and belief in him. And he will save you. And you will experience good. Yo, you, oh, I, just to be the person today who would walk away, you have been Christians for a while. Wouldn't you love just to experience again what that felt like when you suddenly went from darkness to light? You will, you will experience the goodness of God. And we want that for you, and we would welcome you and share in that goodness here at our church. Let's pray.